So would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. If you don't have one, you can raise your hand. There would be one in the seat back in front of you or somewhere nearby. Someone can hand one down to you. We're going to be in verses 41 through 59 this morning. I'm going to be doing a quick review, though, because this is important, important stuff. As we do, let's pray. Father, we ask that as we open your precious word, that we would have ears to hear. Lord, we, we just confess that we are dull of hearing, we are hard of hearing, we are hard-hearted so often, Lord. We're so busy about things that have nothing of eternal value. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would wake us up this morning. Father, that you would draw us, that you would open our ears, and that we would be blessed and respond in a way that would glorify you. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. <clears throat> in John chapter 6, Jesus is in the northern region of Israel called Galilee. And he's just performed the miracle of feeding 5,000 people with uh, a couple of uh, crackers and some fish. And uh, after traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, after performing that miracle, um, the massive crowds who have been following Jesus um, they, they went after him and they found him in Capernaum. So they got him boats and they went across. They were searching where he was. They, they came to him. They were wondering, hey, how in the world did you get to the other side? We saw the disciples leave on the boat. What did you guys do? And because Jesus was, they, Jesus knew they just almost tried to make him king by force. He wasn't going to tell him, yeah, I just walked on water over here. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't answer their question. Instead, in verse 26, he tells them why they are there, how they got there. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so Jesus is telling them that the reason they were following him was because he provided as much food as they could eat. Very difficult in those days. You had to work for what you ate. And listen, you were just slaving all day just to have your daily bread. Most people were. And he fed those 5,000 people. And in verse 27, Jesus tells them after that, after they are following him all around in what he, he miraculously provided for them, he says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus tells them that they are laboring for the wrong kind of food. Wrong kind of food. Jesus tells them that there are two kinds of food. There's a food that they're going to eat that's going to lead to them perishing eventually. And there's a different kind of food that if they eat of this food, it will lead to eternal life. And this is what Jesus is doing back and forth through the book of John. You see it with the water. You see it now with the food. He speaks about um, uh, eternal life and all these types of things. In John chapter three, he says, uh, "You know, for God so loved." He says, "For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life." He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about believing in the Son and receiving His life. That is what he's talking about. And he uses all these pictures, all these idioms to relay eternal life. He says there's two types of food. There's the type of food that you're all searching after every day and you keep going after it. You're in the end of that. No matter how much you eat of it, it's never going to satisfy. You will perish. That is the way of the world. And Jesus says there is another food. 
There's another kind of food, and I will give it to you. Don't labor for the first, labor for the second. Jesus tells them how they can earn that food, that spiritual food, that they can earn that food. Verse 28. So they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And the key is verse 29. Here's the work, ready? Jesus answered him, this is the work. This is the labor you need to labor for. That you believe in whom who he sent. How gracious is God? He says, this is the labor. Think of how hard you work every week to put food on your table. Think of how difficult that is for you over the years, how you've sacrificed time away from your families and away from each other, or just, just think of, of, I think of, you know, mothers who, don't, who do, choose not to be in the workforce in their home. I mean, it takes something to take that food and even put it together. Such a labor. And here God is saying, come to me, I will give it to you. I'll flat out give it to you. And here's the labor that you need to do. You need to trust in the one whom I've sent, Jesus Christ, and he will give it to you freely. This is what Jesus is getting back at. They were to believe upon Jesus and he would give him them eternal life. That's the labor that God requires. And because they don't get this, Jesus continues to dialogue with them. He continues to go back and forth because they are wanting bread. There, but they're wanting the other kind of bread. And they're even wanting a religious kind of bread. They're wanting a supernatural bread that comes down from heaven, but it's still at the same ends to meet their carnal needs. And because they don't get it, they have this dialogue with Jesus. And they start talking about Moses and how Moses gave this supernatural bread to them in the wilderness, this thing called manna that lasted for 40 years. And Jesus has to correct them. Jesus has to say, no, it wasn't Moses who gave it to them. It was God who provided this food from heaven that supernaturally sustained you, your, your people, for 40 years. And that physical manna, that supernatural food that God gave your inhabitants 40 years ago that sustained them in the wilderness was a picture looking forward to this day, Jesus was saying. That that supernatural food that came down from heaven, they physically ate and physically were sustained, was a picture looking forward to a different type of manna, a different type of manna. It was a picture looking towards the bread from heaven that would come down. And so Jesus says to them in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he said to them, sir, give us this bread always. Are they talking about eternal life? He's talking about eternal life. I want the wonder bread. They want it. And Jesus is saying it's a person it's a person. They still don't get it. Jesus has to tell them plainly, verse 35, check it out. I am the bread of life. 
many I am's in the, in, in the book of John 7 or 8. But whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There Jesus again gives man's responsibility of salvation. Come and believe. Come and believe upon me and you will never hunger and you will never thirst again. The problem is that they would not believe. They would not come to Jesus in faith. They would not trust him. They came to him for the physical. They came to him for the physical food, for the wonder bread. They wanted him to be king so that he would take care of their physical stuff. How many of you want Jesus to be your king to take care of your physical stuff? And the reason why we keep coming to him is God heal me, God heal me, God heal me. God provide this, God provide this, God provide this. And if he doesn't do that, it is a huge letdown. Any of you struggle with that? Let me tell you, my other Bible, I'll just say call it the other Bible, not, it's underlined with a bunch of promise verses. Oh God, heal me, heal me, heal me. The answer thus far, either from my own stubbornness or his sovereign will is, not at this time. And that can mess with your view of God because he was to be the one who would be their physical deliverer. He was the one to be, who would be their physical provider. And make no mistake, God absolutely loves you. He loves your body. He cares about you eating. He is a tender, loving, kind God. And there are tons of promises about his provision for us physically and all those types of things. So I don't want to say, God, that God is just ignoring all those things. That's not it. But this is what he's emphasizing to these people. He did give them the food, but that food was leading to a bigger picture. He did heal them, but that, the healing wasn't in the healing itself because those people who were healed, what happened to them? They died, every single one of them, right? Bigger, bigger problem. Everyone who stuffed themselves full on that day from that miraculous food that Jesus multiplied, what happened to them? They died. Jesus is using all those pictures to point to a greater reality. They would not believe. They kept focusing on the temporal. And so Jesus says to them in verse 36 through 40, and I'm just, this will catch us up, but I, say, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven. Why? Not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and the Father's will is that the Son would gather all who would come to him and raise them up on the last day. That is God's will. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was a picture of how God would do this. as Jesus miraculously provided this bread and he broke it and he gave it to everybody and they were stuffed full and the disciples gathered that together. That was a picture of what he would do with himself. Where Jesus would be broken and crushed on a cross. And as his body was broken, 
for your sin, for mine, to appease the wrath of God, and not only to appease, but to give us his life. The disciples took that bread of life, the message of the gospel, and they spread it out. And whoever wanted to eat could come and eat, and those who did will never hunger and thirst again. It was spiritual life, and in the last day, God is going to gather those together. Every single piece of the body of Christ will be gathered back, raised up on the last day to the glory of the the Father. Amen. That's what it's all about. Jesus was telling the masses who ate that physical bread that were totally satisfied on that day that he was the spiritual bread and they should come and eat of his bread. And God would save them. He was the bread of life. And so picking up in verse 41, and so the Jews grumbled about him. (laughs) They grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42, and they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? Wrong information. How does he now say I have come down from heaven? John records the Jews were grumbling in response to Jesus. His declaration that he was the bread that came down from heaven. They were grumbling. Does that, any of you have read the Old Testament, does that ring a bell? What was the main problem with Israel? Grumbling. What was the cause of their grumbling? Unbelief. They were grumblers from the very beginning. Lord, help me, please. They're, they're, they were, remember when God delivered them miraculously, they were, they were weighed down with just heavy slavery, heavily, heavy bondage uh, in Egypt, right? And they cried out, God save me, and he sent to deliver Moses, and there was 10 plagues that he laid out on them, on the, on the nation of, of Egypt, and they finally let him go. And now here they are, they, God delivers them through a, a miraculous you know, um, spreading of, of, of the Red Sea, they go through it, the Egyptians, you've seen Charlton Heston, the whole thing, or maybe you haven't. They should really redo that for the modern, it'd be messed up. Um, but anyways, here they are, and they get in the wilderness, and they're all, they're, all they're doing is thinking about Egypt. They grumble. They grumble to God. We are so thirsty. And so what does God do? Sends Moses to the rock. The rock gets hit, or yeah, hit, hit the first time, right? And water comes flowing out, and it feeds all those people. They're they're nourished in the wilderness, and they're grumbling about food. They don't like the food they have. So God goes, okay, I'll provide this miraculous food from heaven, and he gives them the food, and then they grumble about that because they're tired of having manna. And so he gives them quail, and then they're grumbling about, oh God, you're gonna let us die to these enemies, and it's it's just this grumble fest out in the wilderness for a long time, and they're always grumbling about God's provisions for them. They're grumbling about the water. They're grumbling about the bread. And those were pictures we know of whom? The spiritual rock, Jesus. The spiritual food, Jesus. They're grumbling and here they are, a couple years later, let's just say, same 
same heart, same spirit, still grumbling, never satisfied. And that grumbling was centered in unbelief. Unbelief that God would not, his, that his provision would not provide for them. Because see, their, 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 their desire was not in the provision of God, it was in carnality. It was in the things of Egypt. That is what they wanted. And when God did not meet their, their needs in the ways of Egypt, boy, they got upset, wanted to kill Moses. And what do you think they wanted to do with Jesus? Same thing. They did not believe. And Jesus says in verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus repeats this truth again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That is just a, I mean, here's Jesus' response to their unbelief. What does he say there? No one can come to me unless the Father sent me draws them. What's the implication there? The Father isn't drawing them. Is it because of their unbelief? I don't know, but I know that has something to do with it. Are they unbelieving because the Father never drew them? That's the big debate, and that's above my pay grade. That's, that's, God has to figure that out. The information I have is that Jesus knows that the Father is not drawing them because they are unbelievers, They're, they don't believe. And we went into this last week, how God is the initiator, he is the author, he is the finisher of our salvation, just as you did not decide to be born, you did not decide to be born again. It was God who initiated that, who brought you out of darkness into light, who brought you to that situation. And here's our response in all that, here's our part of salvation, belief. I don't know how that works. Did, did I muster up the belief myself to believe in him? Doesn't look like it. Looks like he gave it to me, yet I'm responsible to respond to the gospel. Amen? So what we need to know is God has the big picture, but what we're called to do is believe upon Jesus. And I hope that, boy, when we minimize the sovereignty of God, we're in a dangerous place. But when we minimize you must believe, we're in a dangerous place. <laughs> There's this tension in scripture that God puts there. And I think it's a, it's a great thing because when, I, you know, when I'm dealing with people who are struggling in their faith, they're struggling with the Lord, I just hammer them with the sovereignty of God. Don't you? Do you wanna hear that God is bigger than your problems, that he's got it all together and all types of things? Yes, I do, don't you? That these are the truths and promises in Christ Absolutely. Someone needs a little correction, rebuke, what do you kind of emphasize? Better start believing. Because here's the other promises of God. <laughs> those who continue in those things will not inherit the kingdom of God or whatever it might be. And so there's this tension that God gives us that helps us express our faith in a daily way. Faith is movement. Faith is action. Faith is works. Amen? Yeah. You know, I, you kind of look at the sovereignty of God and the, and the responsibility of man, and one of my pastors kind of gave me a real great um, analogy when I was young and we were discussing this stuff, and now I've got it all down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he held up a quarter to me and says, what do you see? I said, a quarter. He's like, very good. Now, what do you see? And I said, well, I see 
a tail. I see a tail, I see an eagle. That was back in the day. And, uh, you know, he says, well, I see a head. And you can see where this is going. It's two sides of the same truth. On your side of eternity, you see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. And that is the message that goes forward. Whoever would believe, 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 believe. And once you get through, you're looking back on the door and there's a sign that says, chosen before the foundations of the earth. How did that work out? I don't know. I'm not God. But we are responsible to believe. And that is the message. We preach Christ. Jesus has that information. We went into that last week in greater depth, but Jesus follows this up this call for them to come to eternal life by quoting Isaiah 54, 13 in a condensed version. In other words, the the ones the Father draws are gonna come. He says here in verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. And Jesus clarifies what that means. He says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Again, no one is coming to God unless God causes them to hear and to learn and to come. I can sit here week after week after week after week and all the parents said amen. And you can tell and teach and all that stuff, but if God isn't calling, they're not coming. Amen? Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 13, right after the parable of the soils, Jesus says, In verse nine, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Did everybody in that audience most likely have some ears? Probably. So what was he talking about? He who has, who can hear what I'm saying. Not hear, but God is giving you understanding. You are being taught by God. You hear his his word is penetrating your heart. That's why we go through the word. It's not about Matt's ability to communicate. It's when you read those words, when you hear the words of Jesus and he is speaking and it hits your heart, the Father is calling you to him. The Holy Spirit is doing something in your midst. Don't deny that, that you're hearing from the Lord. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, this is back in Matthew 13, right? Verse 11. And he answered them and said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. What do you do with that? For the one who has will be given. More will be given. And he who has an abundance Uh, But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy Isaiah is fulfilled. And he goes back and says, "This this is what God was talking about back in Isaiah. He says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Why? For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes have been, they've been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. What kind of healing is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual healing, spiritual hearing, spiritual seeing, 
spiritual healing, right? And then he says, in verse 16, he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. It's precious stuff, church. My sheep know my voice. Jesus says to the unbelieving Jews who are there gathered around, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. God calls and he draws the sinner to the Savior and our response is to believe upon him. I don't understand how it will works, but that seems how to be it's described. And what a loving God. And notice, everyone who has, an, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. I think the call goes out. I don't understand all that works, but the call goes out. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except for he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus clarifies real quick, no one's seen God, the Father. He makes that very quick, except for the one who is sent by him. He's saying, I've seen God the Father. We know that God the Father is spirit. He can't be seen by human flesh. If you go back to John chapter one, he says this, uh, this, was in the, uh, uh, this is because uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's what's what that all was about in the beginning. Hebrews 1.1 speaks about this. There's a lot of verses, but long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him, uh, he also created the world, And then it describes the sun. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus was with the Father from the beginning, put us into existence, created our existence, and then was sent by the Father into our existence, into this world of flesh so that we would see God. He says, no one has seen him except for the Son has revealed him. That's what John chapter 1, verse 18 says. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is, the Father's, who, uh, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus says, none has seen the Father except for he is from God. And the reason God sent the Son, verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. How many times has Jesus repeated that he is the bread? How many times has he repeated believe? How many times has he told them over and over and over? A lot. How many of you have heard the message once, twice, three times, 15 times, 20 times, 100 times, and yet you don't have spiritual ears, and today the Father said, wake up, believe. He who who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And after saying this to the Jews who were grumbling that he was the supernatural eternal bread of life, Jesus says to him in verse 49, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. So Jesus isn't making friends here. The miracle provision of food that that God gave them from heaven did not give them eternal life. It did not sustain them. They ate it and they died in the wilderness, Jesus said. And really, this gives us a hint. If you're kind of looking at this, this is a little glimmer into the Old Testament, which 
there's a real important truth that the book of Hebrews really helps us to understand that the Old Testament is the shadow and Jesus is the reality. The Old Testament is the shadow and Jesus is the reality. They wanted the shadow. They wanted the manna. And Jesus says, that's foreshadowing the real deal. And I'm right here. Jesus says, your ancestors ate that and they died. What you're asking for, for me to be a Wonder Bread factory, you're gonna die. You need a different food. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my what? Flesh. Now, Jesus is taking the analogy of bread to a whole new level. If they were grumbling about him saying that he was bread from heaven, and they needed to eat bread, how do you think they're feeling about him saying, you gotta eat my flesh? How many of you are kind of disgusted? It's like, Jesus, you know, that's kind of weird. And here Jesus makes a different analogy. The bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They are filled with unbelief. They don't have spiritual ears. They don't have spiritual eyes. They can't see what Jesus is talking about plainly. They don't see the metaphor, they don't have ears to hear, and instead of making it easier for them, Jesus is now going to take that eating bread to eating his flesh, and he presses it one step further. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, you must know this. He says, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, You have no life in you. Jesus isn't making it easier. He's making it more difficult in their unbelief. See, this is a total commitment. He makes it worse. And right about now, they're freaking out because what Jesus said for them to do was totally against what the Old Testament taught. Absolutely, over and over and over again. Leviticus 17, 10 through 14, I'll just give you the snippet. The the main thing is amongst, and this is in several other places, it just says that anyone who eats any blood would be cut off from among his people. You're gonna be cut off. If you start, you know, drinking blood, and that's associated with pagan sacrifice, it's also associated with other things like that. He says, that is not to be among the Jews at all, don't even try it, don't do it. That is not something we do not do. If you do that, you're gonna be cut off. There's more there, but the reason Moses gave that law, God gave that law, is because the blood is synonymous with the life, the essence of that animal, that person. You don't drink the life essence of something because that was a shadow of a future picture. It was to be sacred. It was to be holy because there's only one blood, only one flesh that you truly get 
eternal life from. See the analogy there? And that was the blood of the Son of God. He didn't want them to mess with that picture. And that is the picture of Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed that our sins were atoned for by his sacrifice and by faith. His eternal life, his righteousness is given to us, imputed to us. The Jews could not see that analogy. Verse 54, Jesus repeats himself again. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Really important, if you grew up Catholic, they take this verse and they take it as there's something called transubstantiation and all this stuff. Like when the priest, when we do communion, that the priest, it actually changes into the body of Christ and it actually takes the cup. So you need to continually take this in order to have life. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. The reality is him. It's Christ and he's getting to this. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about you taking communion and you have life through this ritual. He's talking about a person. He says, for my flesh is true food, verse 55, and my blood is true true drink, true drink. Again, true drink, true food, right? As opposed to a different kind. Whoever feeds on on Jesus' flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life. This is what you are as a Christian. Do you realize how serious this is? You're like, ah, yuck. I don't think I want to do that. That's verse 66. Disciples said, this is a hard teaching, and they left him. Jesus is saying, unless you drink my flood, unless you feast on it, unless I am your sustenance, you do not have eternal life. You do not have life. Whoever feeds on my flesh, verse 56, and drinks my blood, he abides in me and I in him. He uses this word abides. You know, we have this word abode. You you make your home together, you're in unity, you're one, you're dwelling together. That's the idea is that we are dwelling together, right? Remember a couple of weeks ago I asked you to underline verse four at the beginning of chapter. What does verse four say? Now this is the Passover. It's stuck in the, in the middle of nowhere. You wonder why, that, why he put that in there in the beginning? John was painting a picture here. The Lord Jesus was painting a picture. He knew what the season was. It's like saying it was Christmas season. And you know that Christmas has the idea of gifts and giving and Santa Claus and all this type of stuff. We know. Well, Passover had other things they were thinking about as a nation, as the Jews. And it's really weird that John stuck that in there. And we see that right after Jesus wrote that, after John said that the Passover was at hand, then Jesus breaks the bread and he passes the bread out and he feeds the 5,000. And the significance of this is that it was the Passover where the Jews were gathered together once a year in Jerusalem to remember how God delivered them miraculously from the bondage of slavery of Egypt thousands of years earlier. It was a time when God said, you need to remember this. You gather together once a year in Jerusalem 
And you guys remember the Passover. Remember, the Lord sent the 10 plagues and, and, and Egypt was not letting them go. The enemy, the world does not wanna let you go. God does this miraculous delivery and they get delivered. And the 10th plague was that the angel of death or the destroyer, Abaddon, whatever you wanna call him, comes through uh, Egypt and whoever does not have the blood of the door uh, on their doorpost would their firstborn son, the firstborn animals, anything firstborn is gone, males, they're dead. So God provides this provision for Israel in their deliverance, the ultimate act in their deliverance, that there would be a lamb that would be slain on their behalf and his blood would be put on the door and there's a prescribed lamb and it had to be a certain age and all this type of stuff. And so the family would be in the house that night and as the destroyer came along, he looked at the door and if the door had the blood of the lamb, he passed over them. The wrath of God passed over them. Whoever did not suffered the wrath of God. And while they were in that room, guess what they were feasting on? The lamb that had been slain. And this is a future picture. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, sitting around with his disciples. What are they doing? They're celebrating what? The Passover. And there was a cup at the table. There were several cups, and you kind of went through this thing of remembrance. There was a cup representing his blood. The flesh was on the table. Of course, the bread was broken. Jesus is using these as analogies. And he, the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God, was about to go out and get slain so that those who put their faith in Christ, their, his blood would cover their door. And let me tell you that Jesus doesn't just save you. His life doesn't just save you, and that is like, how can we not be just totally blown away at that? But just as they were in there feasting on that night, his life sustains you. The way that you came to Christ is the way that you stay in Christ. The way that you came to Christ is the way that you grow in Christ. By faith, day by day, believing in his promises, learning from him, coming to him, asking him for your daily bread, your daily needs, everything, trusting in his promises, trusting his provision, trusting in his spirit to move in your life. It's a significance The wrath has passed you over, church, but guess what? That's not all there is. There's life, newness of life. He's given you his eternal life. And guess when that started? Planned before the foundations of the earth, manifested when you believed in Christ, never stopping. As you continue to feast on the Lord. And then again, the Lord says, those who persevere will be saved and those who don't won't. Belief is not a one-time prayer. It is a lifetime commitment. It is continually feasting upon the Lord. Notice the tension? <laughs> it's on there, it's, it's on purpose. Did he, will he not absolutely complete what he started in you? Absolutely. What's your responsibility? Believe, when? Right now. Continue. There's this beautiful tension in scripture but he will complete what he started in you. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. 
Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. He paints that picture of this union with him in John 15. It's this abiding chapter. And I just want to read it for you. What does it mean that he feasts on my, what does that look like? What are you talking about, Jesus? Because he wants to bring it into the practical. How does this work out? John 15, verse four, if you have your Bibles, open to it. It's very important, especially in the life of our church. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I believe this is for us. He says, abide in me. This is John 15, verse four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Notice the analogies. The bread is what gives you life. His blood gives you life. And now he does another one. He says, I'm a vine, you're a branch. Unless you're connected, unless you're getting your life from me, you can't do anything of spiritual value. Verse six, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is what? Thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Those who do not feast on, the, on Christ, who do not believe, who do not put their faith in him, are unbelievers, and this is their end. They are thrown into hell, and then thrown into the lake of fire, judged according to what they have done. It is no laughing matter. God repeats over and over, Jesus repeating over and over and over, I want you to have life. Come to me, I'll give it to you. I don't want this for you. Come to me, I'll give it to you. If you abide in me, notice the if. Verse seven, there's that tension. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you. So abiding is this relationship with God and his word. And his word is abiding in us. He says, then ask. What is asking? Prayer. So there's the word of God in your life. And then as the word of God is in your life, you start asking according to that word. That's what that relationship is. God has you connected to him so that you will experience his life and ask that his will would be done. And guess what he likes to do when you ask for his will to be done? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you because your wishes are his wishes. That's the key to prayer. Oh, Lord, but I want Wonder Bread. That's a bummer. <laughs> By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the proving, is those who abide. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in me. Abide in my love. And he goes, and here's the real practical. Well, how do you abide in my love? Well, I'm in the Word and I'm asking. And he says, if you keep my commandments... Oh, great, I gotta keep your commandments now? Oh. Well, what are those commandments? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice that God's love language is obedience, and his obedience is based in what? Love. You cannot say that you love God and you disobey him. That's the thing. Verse, verse 11, 
These things I've spoken to you, why? That your joy, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And these are his commandments, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he goes off about that. John spends the whole first, second, third John on it. And so eating his flesh and drinking his blood isn't literal. We know that. Jesus is saying that he is like water to you. He's like bread to you. He's like pizza to you or like gluten-free something rather to you. Beyond that, better. You know what I'm saying? He's like the vine and we're like the branches attached to that vine. We have life because we're attached to his life and it flows through us. We're almost done. We receive life by believing upon Jesus. Just believing upon him today for everything. And that abiding relationship is pictured there in in John 15 very well, but verse 57 back where we are in John, John 6, 57, he says, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. His life is wrapped up in the Father. And so whoever feeds on me, he's also gonna have life because of me. In other words, the same relationship I have with the Father. In other words, my life is wrapped up in him. So your life is wrapped up in me, you're gonna have life. And that's why Jesus was sent, to gather you so that you would experience life with him and the Father for eternity. The eternity that was before this creation and he designed you for and called you out and sent his son to bring you home to him so that where he was, you may be also for eternity. And it's not gonna be boring. And Jesus says, feed on me and you'll live. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I know it's been several weeks in John chapter six. We have one more to go because and it is it's a heavy, heavy part because what happens is the disciples hear this and they didn't have ears to hear and they walked away. Look at the end of the chapter, verse like 70 something. They all left. All the disciples are abandoning Jesus, lots of them. This is a hard teaching. I don't want to fall off. I, I won't do it. I won't do it. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? Will you leave me also? That's what he says to them. He says, will you leave me also? And what does Peter say? Where else we go? For you have the eternal, you have the words of life, you know? You're it. You're it. I'm attached to you. You're my life. You're it. You're my daily bread. You're my food. You're my water. You're my life. Some of you have lived life and God's allowed you to experience the total, absolute drought of the soul. And if you haven't, hopefully you will. Without him. He's drawing you to him if you have ears to hear. Respond to Jesus now who died to save you from your sins. Let his life be your life. 
Respond to him. Call out to him and say, that's me. I'm lifeless. I'm the walking dead. I've got nothing. Give me your life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Put that blood over the doorpost of my heart because, Lord, pass over. Pass over me. But not only pass over, Lord, I need you for life. Every day from this day forward, I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. Every wish, every dream, every ambition, I now surrender to you. Be Lord of my life. I feast on you. Where you go, I go. And you know where he's leading you. And to the Father, to eternal life. In this life, you will suffer. Fear not, I have overcome the world. In that next world to come, the grace of God, eternal life that begins today, manifested in glory, goes on for eternity, which we don't even understand. Man, what a gift. Father, thank you for sending your son. And we ask that any heart that has heard your plea over and over again to come to me and you'll give them this eternal life that that would happen now according to your will. And Lord, as your church, oh, forgive us for thinking that we can be sustained apart from anything but you. Show us these things in our lives, God. Cleanse us of our unbelief, our grumbling, our mumbling. Set us on that narrow path, Lord. Just at your heels, Lord, connected to your heart, following you day by day until that day when we see you face to face. So we're here for your pleasure, Lord God. We're your servants. We ask that your will would be done just as your son accomplished your will. So now accomplish your will through your church by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.